Hi. Good to see you. You know, he puts that part, I put that part in that biography of, of getting a, a purple heart. You know, I want to tell you something about that. Is this mine from last night? Yes. Perfect. I don't know that it would have mattered if it wasn't. In the, I learned in the civilian world, um, the Purple Heart is kind of impressive. I want to tell you something about the way the Marine Corps views it. That is like the dumbest award that a Marine can possibly get. Because the way the Marines look at it is, you were dumb enough to do the one thing that you weren't supposed to do. And they gave you a medal for it. Like, you're supposed to dodge the bullets. You're not supposed to get hit. And then you get hit, and you're, you're made fun of endlessly. And then they come and put a, an award on you, and you're like, well, this is the dumbest thing in the world. But, you know, in the civilian world, it's a, it, it, and people like it. Um, and so that's just the dark humor of the Marine Corps. My name is Nolan Ruby. I'm the pastor of Wasatch Front Baptist Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Wasatch is the mountain range that runs the entire valley, basically from well north of Ogden all the way south past Provo. You can drive that mountain range for two and a half, three hours. You're never really out of the city, um, and you're always along the front of those mountains. I personally live a little bit um, west of those mountains in a city called Kearns, um, but from my front door, I can be five, six peaks back into the Wasatch in about 45 minutes. And so I'll disappear back there with a thermos of coffee and a rifle um, often, often. Most of the passes are closed now. Uh, we get a lot of snow up there. People say it's the best snow in the world to go skiing. I don't ski. I used to. Um, so someone's like, well, maybe you'd like snowboarding. And does anybody snowboard in here? We've got a couple of people that are pretty good at it. I am not good at it. So what I learned on a snowboard is what one knee does the other one must do, right? And I just couldn't get my knees to act in a team. So uh, instead of getting them to do what I wanted them to do, I just figured, well, I didn't figure. I told this people this is what I figured. But what happened was I didn't know how to steer or stop. So I just poof, straight down the hill as fast as I possibly could until something stopped me, which was a different skier. <laughs> So he's still recovering. You pray for him. First Peter chapter one tonight. First Peter chapter one. I'll tell you some stories this evening. Share the gospel with you. A little bit about me. Uh, grew up in South Dakota. He kind of laid most of the facts out. I joined the Marine Corps in 2000. I joined the Marine Corps on the Marine Corps birthday uh, in 2000, and then was shipped out to boot camp um, in 2001. The towers fell while I was in boot camp. So I, hadn't, I didn't join because of that. I was already in. The Marine Corps did not have the operational tempo when I joined um, to be able to meet the deployment demand that was immediately expected of the Marine Corps. And so that's one of the reasons why I was able to be uh, deployed so much. Um, and it was, just, it was just constant. And then I was part of 3rd Battalion, 8th Marines out of Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. We picked up the AT tag, which is uh, it, anti-terrorism. So we got a little bit of extra funding to get, to get some kind of cool, cool toys. Um, but with those cool toys comes 
all the responsibility that you do with those toys. And so it was just a high tempo. I was in just under five years um, and got to do a lot of different things. I got to fight pirates in Africa for a while. My, my kids think in their mind, they see me locked in battle with like Captain Jack Sparrow or something like that. But it, it wasn't necessarily that. Um, I got to be, I was in Haiti for five months in Port-au-Prince um, back in 04 when a gang called the Shamir had kind of taken over. And president, the president of Haiti at that time was a guy named Aristide. And he was basically a, a puppet for the powers that be. So we had to go through there and clean that out. That was a lot of riot control and <clears throat> looking the part but not actually being able to, you know, this is what the United States learned during Haiti. You don't send the Marines when you want to keep peace. We make it, but then you need to get rid of us. Because if we're there much longer, we'll just reinstitute something different because we're bored. And so that's what we started to do, and they realized we've got to get them out of there. And so uh, they sent the army, they're a little bit softer, a little bit more appropriate for that type of thing. I'm going to hear that when I come back. So I'm sure more stuff will come out here. I'd like to talk to you this evening about that which will endure. We live in a very interesting society. It's be- and I say interesting tongue-in-cheek a little bit because it's really not all that interesting. Uh, societies, generations, s- cultures, secularly speaking, often will repeat themselves over and over and over and over and over again. And we are, we're, we're, I think we're drawing to the end of how far this incredibly comfortable, incredibly luxurious society is going to last. Okay, it's just, it's not, it just can't, you you, you know, good men make good times, or hard, what is this, hard men make good times, good times make soft men, soft men make bad times, bad times make hard men, and we start all over again. And I think we're very much, you look around, manhood is under attack, men are soft, soft, sometimes just, uh, embarrassingly so, and uh, society cannot function that way. It's just not going to. It's not going to function, and so <clears throat> it will flip. And uh, some of the young men here today, uh, you'll probably see down the road, uh, step into some pretty big shoes as they take whatever comes next after whatever society does. But it led me to this thought of endurance, specifically, what can a man do? Or what can a man invest himself in that actually lasts, that actually endures? You think, well, money might endure. Money endures often the second generation. First generation makes it. Second generation recognizes that it's there. Third generation blows it. (laughs) That's just kind of how that works. And so, you know, you think of in the sports world, has there ever been an NFL team that has three-peated the Super Bowl? I know the Bills went four times and lost all four, because that's how epically horrible they are. <laughs> but I, only, I think there's only been, is it three or four teams that have repeated, and they've only ever done it twice. No one's ever done it three times in a row. I could be wrong on that, but I think that's true. Which means, in our world, the very pinnacle of the people who get paid to do nothing but stay in shape and work out can't be good more than two years in a row. They can't be the best more than two years in a row. They, it's just the way it is. So there's not much that we can invest ourselves in that endures 
But there is some things the Bible says that we can invest ourselves in as men, as Christians, that endure, last a little longer than the, 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 the status quo. And so if we just, uh, I'll just read some verses here to you and then we'll get started. First Peter chapter 1, I'll start in verse 22, I'll read down through verse 25, that'll be our text for the evening. The Bible says in verse 22, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. And so just by our very introduction, we understand that the Bible lays out for us that what we're going to talk about this evening, the gospel being preached, is that which endures forever. That's, it's that which endures forever. Our careers don't endure forever. God knows our strength doesn't endure forever. Our speed certainly doesn't endure forever. Let me tell you a story, then we'll have a word of prayer and get started. I was somewhere in Colorado, and I had just finished this conference, and I was filling my truck with gas, and I got done, and I went to pay. I went to go into the store to pay. And as I'm walking towards the store, the door burst open, and this young fella comes running out of there, and he runs into me. Now, I'm not a, you're not going to knock me over, you know. <laughs> and he falls over. I felt horrible. I felt horrible. So I'm reaching down to try to help this guy up, and I realize, you know, you know how your, your brain works a little slower sometimes, it realizes things, and it's all playing out in my mind. I reach down to help him out, and I realize he doesn't want me to help him. So then I'm starting to think, why wouldn't he want me to help him up? And then that leads me to think, he's trying to get away from me. And so all the, and then I, I look, and he's running, and I look, and the, the lady comes out of the store. She's like, stop him. He just robbed the store. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> and so, oh, no, I'm excited. I'm like, I hear about this stuff all the time. And finally, it happens to me. So I'm, you know, I'm like, okay, here we go. We do a little stretch. I turn around to get this guy, and he was probably three blocks away. And I thought, that's a really fast bad guy. I'm wearing a suit. <laughs> you know, you're going to have to call the cops on that one. Because <laughs> he's gone. <laughs> and there was a day when I'd have been, I'd have had him. I mean, I'd have had him. Maybe. <laughs> But it wasn't that day. And so there's times when you realize in your mind, especially as guys, you get to this point where you're like, well, I can do these things. And then you come up against things and you're like, yeah, I can't, I can't do that anymore. You know, and sometimes we realize that a little bit too late. The things I want to talk to you about tonight is, gentlemen, there's things that we've never been able to do. There's things about us that we've never accepted, things concerning our lack of endurance that God is going to address us from this evening, from the word of God. The Bible says in Titus that the Lord makes himself manifest through preaching. In the very last verse we read, it says, but the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. And so I want you to just understand before we get too far into this, I have no bone to pick with you. Most of you I don't know. 
Okay, I have no agenda to leave with you. I'm not here to impress you or, or to be impressed by you, frankly. I just want to share the Word of God with you. I want to let you know that the Word of God endures forever. And I want to let you know that through God's Word and through Jesus Christ acting in your life, your hands can produce things that endure. But it's God's work through you. It's not your work through yourself. Whether that's loving my wife, loving my children, my career, any of it. Okay, let's pray and we'll get started if you don't mind. Father, as we lay these things out from the Bible this evening, we leave it all in your hands, Father, and we just ask that you would help us. If we've got things that we're, we're, we're letting distract us, if there's anything that I'm doing that, Father, is creating a distraction, I pray that you just remove all that noise, keep us still for the next few moments, and share with us your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's look at the first point. I'll get right into it. I just basically have three points I want to share with you this evening concerning that which will endure. Our first point's found in chapter 1 of 1 Peter 23 through 24. The Bible says here, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. That's what will endure. The word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. The first point that we're going to look at is that which will last and that which won't last. We see that which won't last in the very next verse, verse 24, for all flesh is as grass. And all the glory of man is of the flower of grass, and the grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. So we understand there are things that are going to last. There's also things that aren't going to last. And I've got a choice in my life to attach myself to things that will last or to attach myself to things that won't last. Let's define some terms here. We see in verse 23, it says, being born again. And then it defines what born again means, which especially in this day and age, it seems like you have to define everything. Because everyone has a definition that is individual and, and pertinent to them alone. And you can use words and say things that used to be very clearly understood to mean this, and they say, well, that could mean anything. You know, <laughs> guys used to be guys, and you could say sir and ma'am without thinking you might offend somebody. I was telling a story last night. It, it, it seems like all these things happen to me in coffee shops. And so I'm, I'm in a drive-thru store with a coffee, at a coffee shop, or the drive-thru lane, and I've learned, you know, I base, yes sir, yes ma'am. My mother is from Pascagoula, Mississippi, and so I grew up, yes sir, yes ma'am. I base that often, you can say this is right or wrong, on the perception of the voice, <laughs> And so I've learned that i got to be careful, you know. And so the, the person, I, I said, yes, sir. That was wrong. The person who was talking to me through the little box there, they said, will that be it? I said, yes, sir. And they said, all right, I'll see you up here, bestie. And I, I, sit, I said, I looked at my wife. Did they just call me bestie? She's like, I think they did. They called you bestie. What is, a, what is a bestie? My daughter, she's 13, she's in the back seat. She's like, Dad, you don't know anything. It means best friend. Why would this dude call me his best friend? Pulled up, and I'm like, not a dude, not a dude, not a dude. Okay, so, I'm sorry. so we've got to, we're coming up with all these terms. We're coming up with all these things 
that people define differently out of the lack of desire to offend anybody. Everyone's so offended all the time. You use sir or ma'am, that's offensive. Guy or girl, that's offensive. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Well, what about us that are, okay. I I don't know how to talk anymore without being offensive to people. And I think I'm probably pretty close to just not caring as well. Okay, so I want you to understand as we look at this, being born again, that term means something. The Bible describes it. It says, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. So I understand that being born again has nothing to do with being born. I understand that there's two types of being born. That which is born of the incorruptible and that which is born of the corruptible. Let's define the terms. Corruptible is a word that simply means decayed or perishing, perishable. Okay, and uncorruptible is the opposite of that. That which doesn't decay, that which doesn't perish. And so as a man, I I can understand that I am born, I exist, I live. But it's of a corruptible seed. It's of a seed that doesn't endure. Okay? And we all know that. We are all, on a long enough timeline, going to die. It's just life. No one gets out of it alive. We all know that. Why? Because we are corruptible. We are decaying. We are aging. We are getting slower. We are getting weaker. We are believe it or not, getting dumber. Okay, we are corruptible. And the Bible says being born again has nothing to do with that first birth, that corruptible birth. It says, but of incorruptible, and then it tells us where incorruption comes from. It says, by the word of God. So I understand just from this basic first verse that there's that which is corruptible. The Bible says in Colossians 2, 8, beware lest any man spoil you through the philosophy of the world, for the rudiments of the world, vain deceit, that kind of thing. That's the corruption of this world. We are born into it. We're, that's, it's who we are. It's a fallen, cursed world. Okay, Being born again, not of the corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, means that a new birth has something to do entirely different with everything that I am and know naturally. And it's from the Word of God. So if I don't have this then I don't have uncorruptible work. Everything that I do in my natural state, the Bible defines as corruptible. Everything that I do through the grace of God by the mercy of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Bible defines as uncorruptible. Everything I do in my natural state decays. It withers. It does not endure. It will not endure. Everything I do in my uncorruptible is God doing it through me. It endures. And it will endure in me. It will last. How much can you point to in this corruptible world that lasts? There's not much. There's not much. To include ourselves. And so this first point is there's a couple things that there is... There is that which will endure, and there is that which will not endure. Let's look at a couple verses on this. Psalm 103, and I'll just read these for you. Psalm 103, Bible has a lot to say about that which will endure, as well as that which won't. 
And we read that in 1 Peter 23, 24, talks about our flesh as his grass, withereth away, okay? Psalm 103, verse 14, the Bible says here, for he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. That's who we are. We're here, and then we're not. And as hard as this might be, gentlemen, I got to tell you, nobody really cares. Life will go on without you. There's not one guy in this room that's so irreplaceable that God can't call you home. That's just the way it is. I used to think there were people that I couldn't live without until the Lord took them. We do not endure. It's just life. We're all going to die. The question is, is that which I invested myself into while I was living, that which is corruptible? Or is that which I invested myself into while I was living, that which is incorruptible? Because it's what comes next that matters most. This, this is just a way station at best. If I jump over to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 6. The Bible says, the voice said, cry, and he said, what shall I cry? And this is what the preacher was told to cry. All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. All of it. That's what the preacher's been told to say over generations, thousands of years of human history. God told men to tell other men, this is not a very long time. Learn what's corruptible, learn what's not. Learn what will endure and learn what won't. And give yourself to that which will endure. If I jump over to Isaiah 51 and verse 12, the Bible says here, I, even I am he that comforteth you, who art thou, that thou shouldest be afraid of a man that shall die and of the son of man which shall be made as grass. The Bible says this over and over and over again. John 3, 5 through 8 talks about flesh is flesh, but the spirit is spirit. Romans 6, 6 through 14 says he died unto sin. He died once, but he liveth forever. Colossians 3, 10 says put on the new man, which is renewed. Talking about the new birth, the uncorruptible man. Ephesians 4, 24, put on the new man, which is after God. So I understand from the Bible, there's that which will endure. That's the new man, the man that is born again. That's Jesus Christ inside my heart. And then that's, that's, there's that which won't endure. That's the old man. That's me naturally. You can understand this in a physical world. You can understand it in a, in a macro world or micro. Did anybody like uh, used to lift or anything? Some, I saw some big boys in there. There he is. He's a big boy. <clears throat> so my brother and I, we used to power lift. And we got, we got pretty big. And we, I was, I don't want to, you know, yeah, I do want to impress you. So I'll tell you those numbers. <clears throat> okay, so I remember when I broke, you know, when you hit 405 on bench for the first time, you're just like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, right? And then you think, oh, if I got there, I'm good. Do you know what I immediately wanted when I hit 405? 
I wanted five, which is 95 pounds away, right? So we start chasing 500. I was deadlifting over seven, squatting, ridiculous numbers. And this whole time I'm doing this, I can't remember who I was talking to. I thought my wife was just the luckiest gal. Like, you know, how, how envious must all these other, you know, because her husband, I mean, I'm her husband. Like, she's, you know. And one day, I made a comment along those lines, and she rolled her eyes and scoffed, and I said, wait a minute, what was that? She's like, I really, I, I'm over it. I, it's, you know. I said, wait a minute. I'm doing all of this, like, you don't think this is great? She's like, are you kidding? You snore like a train. <laughs> Your hands fall asleep every night. You smack me all the time. You don't even know you're, you know, you're just like octopus. Just, you, you're dead. You are totally, completely uncomfortable to cuddle with. You tried to hug pastor last week. You blew the back end of your suit out. You're eating five, six times a day. I've never bought more chicken, eggs, and rice in my life. You're unhappy. You're, you have sleep apnea. Like, this is, no, I'm not happy. It's, you're horrible. It's horrible. I was like, well, this is, what am I doing all this for? You know, and, you know, so you stop. And you think, well, at least, you know, I've got it. You know how long that lasted when I wasn't feeding it? Less than a month. Less than a month. And I go back over there like, well, can you, you know, yeah, 405. I tried to put 405 up again after I thought I about, I about died. I was like, what kind of an idiot puts this on willingly and does this? Okay, you understand, there's things that we can chase. There's achievements that you can go after. And man, it's impressive to you. To you. You know who else cares? Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> Nobody. And you can do this all the time. I remember wanting to, a thousand yards, my goal was to put a round in the hole of the first round. So I start chasing that, you know. I did it. You know who cared? Nobody. I framed it. People would come in, what's that? I tell them, that's stupid. Like, <laughs> so that you can elevate in your job. You know who cares? Nobody. On my car's nicer than yours. My truck's nicer than yours. You know who cares? You do. I actually prefer to have a not nice car. So when people act the way they do, I can just kind of, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So there's things that will endure and there's things that won't. <clears throat> James 1.10 says, as the flower of the grass, it shall pass. It shall pass. But that which lives forever abideth. Abideth is a word that means to stay, to continually dwell. You understand, through Christ, me and what God does through me can continually dwell. It can endure. It can endure. There's not much else that you can give yourself to in this world that will endure. Let's look at the second point. If we go back to our text, 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22, the Bible says here, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and the unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. <clears throat> so number one, I understand concerning that which will endure, there's that which will last, that's what God does through you, 
and there's that which won't last. That's what you do. Number two, concerning that which will endure, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, love. Love will endure. Love, as a product of the purified soul, endures. As it is obedience to the truth that endures. Now let me just define love because I think that we probably need to do that. <clears throat> love is not a feeling. We live in a world that says, well, I fell in love. Well, then stand up and get out. <laughs> you don't fall in love. You fall in lust, but you don't fall in love. When young guys are just getting ready to get married, I do a lot of marriage counseling. They come in, I'm like, do you love her? And they're like, oh, yeah, I love her. Interesting. Tell me why. Well, she does this for me, and she does this for me, and well, have you seen her? She's beautiful. And, and it's all these lists of things that won't endure. So then I ask them, so what happens when she's not so, oh, what happens when she doesn't make you feel and she doesn't, you know, what happens when all that goes away? You fell in love with how she makes you feel, which means you fell in love with you. She's just the representative of it. You say, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say love endures. You know what love is? It's a decision. I will love you. Yeah, but hey, you don't know my wife. I know mine. I know mine. I know that life is hard. I know that women get nervous, they get scared. And you know who they usually try to hurt when they're hurting? The one they love the most, looking for some kind of reaction, looking for any kind of feeling. Hurt people tend to make sense of pain by hurting other people. Did you know that? Who's got the safest house in the block? Do you know who has the safest house in the block? The most accomplished thief usually has the safest house in the block. Because he knows exactly how he'd take it. Okay? Most people who are liars think everybody else is lying. Most people who want to control people accuse everyone of wanting to control them. And most women who need to be loved hurt the people or specifically the man who loves them most. Now let's flip that over into my relationship with God. God loves me more than anyone can love me. In fact, if you've heard, I, I do a podcast out of Wasatch Front Baptist Church called On Being Christian. You can find it anywhere. And the very first podcast, podcast number one, is, it's, it's just entitled, But God Loved Me. You can go listen to it. It's my testimony, How the Lord Saved Me. Do you know what I did with his love for a long time? I rejected it. I didn't accept it. Pushed it away. Even after I accepted Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, I went through a time in my life where I didn't want to be associated with that type of thing. And I hurt the one who loves me more than I've ever hurt anyone in my life. Doing stupid things. Stupid things. I'm contemplating a story. I might get to that a little later. 
So love endures. There's a chain of events here. A purified soul requires obedience to the truth. We see that in our scripture by the leading of the spirit, which will produce unfeigned love for others. Thus, seeing that this is the result, do it with a pure heart fervently. The Bible says what endures forever? Love done from a fervent, pure heart. How do I get a fervent, pure heart? Well, that goes back to the first point. I have to have that which is enduring in me. In other words, if I don't have that which is enduring, I can't love, period. Is that, are you with me? What loves fervently? Well, that which endures. So in order for me to love fervently, I have to be loved fervently. In order for me to be loved fervently, I have to put away the, the corruptible and put on the incorruptible. And the Bible says in Isaiah that when the corruptible shall become the incorruptible, then shall be brought the past, the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. It goes on to say, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. And Jesus Christ came, and he beat the law. The Bible says he made a show of it openly so that I can have a relationship completely free of works by faith in the one who did the work, Jesus Christ. I have to have that which is incorruptible. Once I have that which is incorruptible, I can then use that to fervently love others. What am I trying to say? Without Christ, I can't love. I can't love. I can like. I can lust. I can admire. I can appreciate. I can do all those things. But the type of love that lasts only comes from the one whose love saves souls. That's Jesus Christ. That's not us. That's not us. A couple verses, <clears throat> couple verses on this here. <clears throat> Acts chapter 15. I like to try to, it uses quite a, a lot of Bible just so you walk out of here knowing that you didn't hear just some guy scream at you his own opinion for a while. Acts chapter 15, 7 through 10. The Bible says, And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. I'm just going to make sure I'm in the right place here. Yeah. And God which knoweth the hearts bear them witness, giving them the the Holy Ghost, or giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. So that my faith in Jesus Christ is what purifies my heart, and I need a pure heart to love. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? What he's saying here is, there was the church at this time, there's only one church, it was a church in Jerusalem, and they were struggling with this idea. The old law versus the New Testament, which means that I can have righteousness by faith in the one who kept the law. There's only ever been one. His name's Jesus Christ. And it's my faith in him that now makes me righteous. There's not a thing I can do to be righteous except, except the one who is righteous. And when I do that, that which is corruptible about me, 
becomes incorruptible. Chapter 15, verse 12, then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and, and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out them a people for his name. And to this, and to this agree, the words of the prophets, as it is written, after this I will return. And will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up. And the Bible goes on here. I just want to, that's, I want to stop there. And so he says, listen to this. Listen to these men. In fact, later on, when these same men were preaching, they were preaching to a group of people, and they, they said, <clears throat> the, the men trying to prove who this was, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us? I want you to understand something. When the Lord Jesus Christ, now... <clears throat> I don't know most of you. How am I supposed to reach you? I don't know you. You don't know me. We don't know each other. I'm not opposed to it. Hope I get to meet some of you. But I can't know your life. I don't know your struggles. I don't know your successes, your failures. I don't know what you're facing. But I want, to, I want you to understand something. The Bible says the Lord makes himself manifest through preaching. And so when the Bible is opened and the word of God is laid out and you feel that, that burning in the heart, that's not me. I can't do that. That's the Holy Spirit. And he's telling you, despite whoever you might be, whatever history you might have, whatever traditions you might follow, he's telling you, sir, I love you, and I'd like you to endure. I'd like you to last. Here's what it takes. Every man in this room is going to make a decision this evening, if they already haven't. And that's either walk out of here and say, that was okay, that guy was kind of whatever, food was good, I'll see them next year. Or you can do business with the Lord. You can actually be renewed. You can go from corruptible to uncorruptible. You can go from that which won't endure to that which will endure. You can go from death to life. That's how simple that is. That's how simple that is. Because there's not a lot that endures in this world except for that which Jesus Christ put in it. <clears throat> All through the Bible we talk about love, the love of the brethren, 1 Peter 2, 17, 3, 8, 4, 8, it all talks about loving the brotherhood. Romans 2, 9 through 18 talks about overcoming evil with good. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 says love one another. 1 Timothy 1, 5, charity out of a pure heart. You understand, my heart, if I've never accepted Christ, is not pure. And so the second point is completely impossible without the first one. Loving fervently from a pure heart is completely impossible unless I've taken on that which endures. Hebrews 13.1 says, let brotherly love continue. 1 John 3.18, it says, love not in word, but in deed and in truth. 1 John 4, let us, I don't know what happened, I don't know when this happened, but the culture that we live in somehow made good men afraid of the word love. I'm not sure when that happened. I remember when a man told me, a man, 
told me, I love you. I was, un- I was uncomfortable. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Take that back. <laughs> Don't say that too loud. But somehow good men have been made embarrassed over the idea of actually loving people. Loving people. Why? Because the world took love and made it into lust. The world took love and made it something that it's not. I can tell you this evening, I love you. I'm not, I'm not being inappropriate with that. I'm not, if I didn't, why would I be here? You know what the Lord's going to give you when you accept him as your savior? He's going to give you a pure love. And it's going to be completely different from the, what the world has corrupted. When you love a woman purely, and it's about you giving to her, not taking from her. When you love your children from a pure love, you, you stop being threatened by their... One of the things that drives me crazy is when the, the sun begins to rise, and the father's so threatened the son might be more than him, he holds him back. I see it in churches all the time. The big, the big, the big cheese, Pastor. Is so threatened by the man that he's training becoming more important than him that he, and I'm going to use a word, he retards the entire church because he's so threatened of losing his position of perceived power. I see it in churches. I see it in families. You know what a man who loves does? I saw this picture. I thought it was brilliant. You know what pixelated pictures, what, what I mean by that? It's like a digital picture, okay? <clears throat> this, this, uh, father had a son. And when the doctor gave the, it's a a black and white picture, when he gave the baby to the father, the baby was just an outline. And the father took a, a pixelated part of him, like a block out of him, and filled in part of the outline. And then later on, the kid was like, two or something, and he's walking for the first time, or whenever that happens, and he's got a couple more blocks in him that fills out the outline, and there's a couple more missing from the father. And then later on, the kid hits his first home run, and and now the outline of the kid's a little bit more filled in, and there's a little bit more missing from the father. And this keeps going. It's like a comic strip, you know? The kid graduates high school, and now the entire outline's filled in, and there's a couple blank spots, but the father's really fading. And then the kid has his own wife, and then he has his own son, and and then the, the son becomes a grandfather himself, or a, a father himself, and now the father is, is now the grandfather. And, and by the time we get to the end, the father takes the last part of him and gives it over, and the son's now complete, and he dies. Our world doesn't think like that anymore. We're so in love with ourselves, we're so infatuated with ourselves that we literally will hold people down lest they surpass us. You realize as a man, if you do your job right, you will work yourself right into irrelevance. And the people coming behind you will be able to reach further and higher 
They'll be smarter, faster. They'll be more diligent. They'll be more devoted than you ever could be. And they'll be standing on your shoulders when they do it. And your name, it'll fade away. Boy, that's success. When the ones who come behind you can reach further than you, you did your job. That's not what the world will tell you. The world, you gotta love yourself. That's garbage. That's garbage. Love your wife. Love your kids. Most importantly, love the Lord. How do you do that? You can't love the Lord unless you let the Lord love you. You can't. How do you do that? Repent. Lord, I'm wrong. You're right. I, I, I don't have it. I'm, I'm void. I need it. What do you want me to do? How do I do it? Love. Don't be afraid of that word. Don't be afraid of it. You think God is afraid of it? Jesus Christ took his love for you to Calvary. Do you know all four Gospels define the crucifixion the exact same way? You go and read every single, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They all give different details about the 48 hours prior to the crucifixion. Some talk a lot about the trials. Some talk a lot about the garden of Gethsemane where God, where Jesus Christ prayed You know, every single one, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, every single one, when they get to the crucifixion, they all say the exact same thing. You know what they say? There, they crucified him. That's all they say. I've always wondered about that. Why didn't they go into more detail about that? Why didn't they? Here's what I think. I think the crucifixion was such a brutal ungodly, horrid show that none of those disciples could bring themselves to write anything more about it than to simply say, there they crucified him. That's all they said. And in the time in which they lived, that's all that needed to be said. So let me give you the details that aren't given. Do you know what a crucifixion is? Usually they roped him, but Jesus Christ, they nailed him. It's a, a, it's a rough cut timber and they, they nailed him to the timber. They nail the crucified person to the timber while it's laying on the ground. And then there's a set place and they'll pick up the cross and they'll drop the timber into the hole. And the person will immediately drop down More often than not, the shoulders immediately separated. Okay? The reason that they would tie their legs, you're like, why would they tie their legs? Because they need their legs. They tie their legs at an angle because when they fall, the lungs are crushed in by the rib cage. And the only way for them to breathe is to use their legs to push their body up, which elevates their rib cage, allows them to get some air. And then they sink back down. Jesus Christ endured naked a crucifixion of that type where they beat him, they made fun of him, they mocked him, they whipped him, they tortured him for hours and hours and hours. Why would he do that? Why? Do you know before he did it, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane 
the Sanhedrin came to get him. Now, I don't know about you, but if I went to get a man, the Bible says that they said, we seek Jesus of Nazareth. You know what Jesus said when they came to find him? I am he. You know what they did? What? They fell down. Now, if I'm a soldier and I'm supposed to go get a guy and arrest him, and he said, I am the one you're looking for, and it threw me backwards and I fell down, I might get out, <laughs> I might stand up and dust myself off and be like, you guys got him. <laughs> uh, I quit. But they didn't. They went after him. They took him. Peter was there. You know what Peter did? Peter pulled a sword and cut off a guy's ear. Now, why would you cut off a guy's ear? He's grabbing his ear. He's like, oh, yeah. Why would you cut off a guy's ear? Hmm? I think you're right. I would never, like, if I had that skill, I wouldn't be like, I'm going to show you, <laughs> cut off your ear. <laughs> I think he was just a horrible swordsman. I think he went for his neck, and the Roman soldier ducked and got his ear. Jesus Christ picked the ear back up, put it back on the guy's head, and told Peter, I have 12 legions of angels. You don't think that if I wanted to stop this, I could? You know how many's in a legion? Anywhere between, if I did the math right, 10 and 12,000. 12, so let's just call it 10, 120,000 angels, beings created specifically for the purpose of war. Jesus could have said, all right, I'm done. And they could have descended upon this earth and wrecked havoc. In fact, if I was one of those angels and Jesus Christ, my God, was on the cross and I was watching him, I'd have been looking at him like, Lord, you give me any sign, I'm coming. Wink, blink, look up here, cut the leash off me, and I'm coming down there. And he didn't. He endured, the Bible says, despising the shame, he became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Amen. Why? For you. Amen. Why would he do that if he didn't love you? Don't be afraid of his love. And don't be afraid of him giving you the love that he loved you with. Because you know what he's going to do? When he, when he saves your soul and he teaches you how to love, you know what you're going to do? You know what he's going to make you do? He's going to tell you to go tell other people that he loves them too. Why do you think I'm here? Telling a bunch of guys I've never met that I love them. Because he loved me first. He loved me first. <clears throat> Let's finish this up. The final point is, <clears throat> how do I stay loving? 1 Peter 1.25, back to our text. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 25 The Bible says here, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. I started this off by saying, what endures? Gentlemen, I just gave you that which endures. This endures. This endures. Nothing else is going to endure. Your bank accounts aren't going to endure. Your, your muscles and speed and fitness from the looks of it stopped enduring a long time ago. This endures. 
You can have it. It's free. You know, I lied. It's not free. It cost Jesus Christ his life. And he willingly gave it so that you could accept him free of charge. You say, what do I do? How do I do that? No potion. No magic words. None of that. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 <clears throat> that it's belief in the heart and confession with the mouth. So thou shalt believe in thy heart the Lord and confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou shalt be saved. With the, mouth, or with the heart man believeth and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We overcomplicate things sometimes. I'm not saying that it's simple. I'm just saying it's not as complicated as we like to make it. When I reach the end of myself, when the Lord brings me to the end of myself and I realize there's nothing left but him, it kind of narrows your choices down. A couple of verses on this. <clears throat> Psalm 102. Psalm 102. Verse 12, the Bible says, But thou, O Lord, shalt endure forever. And thy remembrance unto all generations. Verse 25 says, Of old hast thou laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment. As a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall have no end. That's our Lord. There's no end to those years. You know, there's three type of timelines that you should understand. The first is the timeline of that of like a, uh, like a dog. <clears throat> it's born, and it dies. Contrary to what Walt Disney says, all dogs do not go to heaven. Okay, they have no soul. They live a physical life determined for, uh, the, the use of which is determined by you, the owner. And then there's a man's timeline. A man's timeline has a starting point. Contrary to what popular belief says about it, it does start at conception. Right, right. It ends physically at your death, but that's not where your soul ends. You will go on forever somewhere. The Bible refers to those two places as either with the Lord in heaven in the light of God's glory, which is Jesus Christ, or apart from him, which is hell. The third type of timeline is one that we can't understand. It has no beginning, and it has no end. It's the timeline of God. There, he'd never started. He's always been. And the one who's always been, is now, and will always be, is offering you an eternity with him. An eternity that endures an eternity free of corruption, an eternity free of death, an eternity free of the curse of this world. It's free. He paid it. I tell people at Wasatch Front Baptist all the time, sin cannot be forgiven. Did you know that? The sinner can, but sin had to be paid for. Jesus Christ paid for it. With his death on the cross, he paid for sin. And as the one who paid for it, he can forgive the debt that you have to it. God is as much judgment as he is love. <clears throat> if I were to go into you, 
a restaurant where you just had dinner and say, you know what? <clears throat> I forgive you your debt. And you walked out without pain, <laughs> they would come get you. <laughs> what does it take for me to forgive you your debt? I got to pay it. Hey, where's their check? Give it to me. I'll pay it. That's what Jesus Christ did, but with sin. He said, I'll pay that. He left his home in heaven and took on the payment of sin. He didn't, he didn't sin. He took on the payment of sin so that you and I wouldn't have to pay it. He left eternity and took on the corruptible. The Bible says he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Isaiah 40, verse 8, 40, verse 8, says, The word of our Lord shall stand forever. Psalm 136 says, His mercy will endureth forever 26 times. In one psalm, 26 times. And the very last verse I have written down here is 1 John 4, 8. I'll just go read that real quick. 1 John 4, 8, the Bible says, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. How do I love? I have to know God. You say, well, what does that look like? Let me share some verses with you, and I'm going off the cuff here, and I'm all done. Romans. Romans chapter 10. If I pick it up in verse 9, it says, that, thou, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with mouth, the confession, with mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever shall believe on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I call upon the name of the Lord by faith, willing to repent of my sin and give it all to the Lord. The Bible says the Lord will do the rest. The Lord will do the rest. John chapter 1, 10 through 14. John chapter 1, 10 through 14. Look what it says here. It says, He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as receiveth him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name. That's as simple as it is. Which were both not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh, that's Jesus Christ, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You say, what do I do? Repent and ask the Lord to save me. That's the extent of it. Sometimes we wait, like, well, what else? Gentlemen, there's nothing else. I have to love purely for anything that I do to endure. But I have a problem. I'm not pure. So in order for me to love from a pure place, I have to be loved from a pure place. And until I accept that pure love, I am corruptible. And I will not endure. When I go to my father and say, I, I'm, I'm sin. I've sinned. I am sin. I, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'll repent. I'll do whatever you tell me to. I'll be one of those weird people that goes to church. 
I'll be one of those guys who's not afraid of telling other people how much I love them. And genuinely loving people. People don't really care how much you know until they know how much you care. Love them. Love them. Can't do it without the Lord. It's impossible. So here I am. I'm all done. I'm all done, guys. So I'm just going to tell you this. Most of you, some of you, I hope to meet you. But some of you, I'm probably not going to meet you. You're going to leave. I'll never have met you. Okay? Why are you here tonight? Why are you here? Good plate of food? $50 gift card? I mean, why? Why are you here? Do you think the Lord didn't know that you would be here? You might find that the Lord has culminated the events of your life into this moment. You might find that it's not an accident that you're here. You might find that the Lord is very interested in you. He's very interested in you belonging to him. You might find that the love of God is like nothing you've ever experienced. You might find that a life lived in him is like a life you've never known. Or you can leave. And just keep doing the things that you've been doing. By the way, how's that worked out for you? I used to preach in jails. I used to ask those guys. He guy stood up one day, he's like, long story short, he's like, I don't, I'm nobody's, and he said a cuss word. And I said, so says the man in striped pajamas. How's that working out for you there, bud? He grabbed my Bible and threw it across the gym there. I guess he had a point. Why did the Lord bring you here? To save you? Is that why you're here? In a minute, I'm going to have you stand, bow your head, close your eyes, and I'm going to give an invitation. You say, what does that mean? I'm, I'm just going to give you a chance to kneel before God and say, hey, I'm done being me. I want, I want you. You say, I, I wouldn't know what to do. There's men here that can lead you to the Lord. There's men all over this place that can lead you to the Lord. And so if you need that, and the Lord brought you here tonight to save you, when I have you stand, I want you to just be willing. Just come up and tell me, I'm here to get saved. And I'll introduce you to a man who can lead you to the Lord from the Bible, show you what the Bible says. Or you can grip that pew in front of you and last this thing through.